The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, so today we're going to be in uh, the book of Acts again. We're in chapter 10 today. So you can find your place in chapter 10. This is a story, so uh, it won't be as detailed in verse-by-verse format, although we will go through the entire chapter. But it's more of a narrative, so uh, don't fret. As you're finding Acts chapter 10, I want to just talk a little bit about um, growing up. I grew up in uh, what was a small town in South Carolina. Uh, It's not so small anymore. Um, But... I know many of you could probably identify growing up in a small town. Um, and, and I had certain experiences. I uh, had a community that was a certain way. I had schools that were a certain way. Uh, I, had, I knew a lot of people. I, I played sports. I, I did some extracurricular activities. So I, I ran across a lot of people in my first 18 years of life. And so... Uh, one thing I didn't realize as much then as I do now is this. All those things, your family, your community, your schools, your activities, the people you meet and know, especially in your first 18 years of life, those things shape who you are. Unlike things later in your life. They they uh, have a, a big part to play in your thoughts, in your perspectives, in your beliefs. Uh, think about, did you go to church when you were young? Did you, or, or did you start uh, seeking God? Did God get a hold of you later in life? Or, or were you brought up in a home where uh, church attendance was not an option? It was automatic. Or, or did you grow up in a home where church attendance was not an option? It never happened. All those things help form your perspectives in life. And sometimes those things are really good. And they make you who you are. Regardless of good or bad, they make you who you are. But sometimes, when you grow older, you start to look back and you think, Wow, I thought that way? or I, I believe that, or I thought that was a good idea, man, that was, that was kind of wrong. And then, and then you start, you might think this. You might think, I, I was a product of my environment maybe more than I realized. Maybe now I've grown up a little bit, I've heard different things or met different people or had different experiences, been different places, and now I'm starting to rethink some of the things I thought before and maybe I examine those things a little more closely through a different lens and now maybe I think, you know, um, what I thought or what I believed or what I, uh, my perspective was back then, maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't right. We're going to talk about something like that today because here's... Uh, a central truth that we'll see, see hopefully very clearly in this scripture today through the life of Peter and a man named Cornelius. Here's the central truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. There's no exception. The gospel of Christ is for everyone. 
That's why today's message is entitled, Good News for Everyone. Let's read, why don't we? Uh, Acts chapter 10, and I'll start in verse 1, and we'll read the whole chapter, uh, and then we'll talk about a few important points in this text, and then hopefully make some application that will be helpful for us today. Here we go. Here's what the Bible says as Luke writes, as the Spirit inspired him. Luke 10, verse 1. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, and staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel, the angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what that vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day, he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and to call together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. And Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. 
So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at this hour, three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who's also named Peter. He's lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately I sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand God does not show favoritism, but in every nation... The person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. And we ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. And God raised up this man on the third day, caused him to be seen, not by all the people, <clears throat> but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for this word. And Lord, I pray you would speak clearly to our hearts today. Help us understand. Help us be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this is a story that's of particular interest, I think, to our current culture. Because if you just look through the story, it's pretty straightforward. Cornelius is in Caesarea. Peter is in Joppa. We saw that last week in the end of chapter 9. <clears throat> and both of these are coastal cities. So you see that um, he had to travel up the coast with the group that came down to meet him in Joppa. And so Peter had already gone uh, to do God's work because they, uh, he had gone through Lydda, that city we saw last week, and he was uh, basically just doing what God told him to do. He, he uh, healed someone, he raised a, a lady from the dead, all for, uh, for the reason of preaching the gospel. That was the whole point. Remember last week we talked about how the gospel was being corroborated by signs and wonders. And so it was never just about the miracle. 
The miracle was just a way to be a platform for the preaching of the gospel so people would hear and be saved. So here, Cornelius gets a word from God, and then Peter gets a word from God. So they both agree. So here's what's happening. Here's what we need to see from this story. There's a couple of spots here where God says something to these men in the presence of the larger group. And what he says is profound because, not because it should be all that odd to us, it's profound because of the culture in which it's spoken. Peter's a Jew. He went from Jerusalem to Lydda to Joppa. He went northwest over here to the coast, and now this group from up here in Caesarea has come down to find him because God told him to. Then while they were on their way, God told Peter, hey, some guys are coming to get you, so go with them. So they both got a, a message that agreed. But I, I need you to see, before Peter left, this is the first uh, major statement in this text. The rest of it's kind of setting up what God's about to do here. When Peter gets his vision, his is very specific. See, Cornelius had an angel visit him and give him a message. Peter saw something else. He saw a sheet filled with animals. And three times, the Bible said it happened, three times this sheet came down filled with animals and it said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Which, by the way, I take that as a biblical mandate that we are supposed to hunt. I just think that's the way, I mean, that's my personal interpretation. I think that's license to hunt. I'm just saying that, that, that may, you know, that, that's, that's just a side detail. So he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So Acts 10, 13. What does Peter say? No way. I mean, you've got to have a major reason if you're going to tell God no. And, and by the way, I'm just a little side note here. There is... There is no reason that is sufficient to tell God no. Okay? But we have to think we've got a good reason if we're going to come back with that answer. He says in verse 14, No, Lord. Why? For I have never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Now what the, the text really says there is common. That's the literal meaning of the word he uses, common or unholy, or profane. In other words, he's a good Jew. He's following the dietary restrictions. He's, he's never eaten anything that would violate the Jewish order. So what is God's response? Because this is the most important thing at this point in the text. This voice coming from heaven, coming from God, says very directly, and by the way, uses the same word, what God has cleansed, do not make common or do not make unholy, do not make a profane or unclean. What the, the, the operative phrase there is, what God has cleansed. Okay? So that just, understand who's hearing this. Peter, Jewish man. This is foreign to him. Because he thought, up to this point, he was honoring God by following these restrictions. But now God says to him, what God has cleansed is not common. It's not unholy. It's not unclean. It's not profane. 
and it happens three times. Now, biblical things that happen three times are done typically for emphasis. In other words, hey, get it through your head what's happening here. That's, it's almost like Peter needed some extra incentive to understand. It was done three times. If God's cleansed something, it's clean, period. So, <clears throat> now... Peter gets the visit from Caesarea, from the group coming from Cornelius, and he is alerted to their presence before they get there. So when they show up and say, hey, um, we're here for you to come with us to, to meet uh, this guy we work for, and he says, oh yeah, I know, God told me already, so let's go. So it's completely agreeable, which is, by the way, not normal. Not normal, because we'll see here Jews and Gentiles. They don't... They don't go together, okay? They don't go together. So when we get down to verse 24, <clears throat> they're getting into Caesarea. Now Cornelius had already gathered relatives and friends. And so at this point, <clears throat> Cornelius actually attempts to worship Peter. And Peter says, no, I'm just, I'm just a man. Stand up. Uh, I'm no one special. He's a messenger. Now here's another point of reference that you need to take note of in the story because what does Peter share here at, at, at this point in the story see God has shown Peter he says it in verse 28 Peter tells them hey you know it's forbidden it's unlawful for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, someone from another nation. But, see that in verse 28? God has shown me I must not call any person impure or unclean. Any person. I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's a very important statement right there. I must not call any person. And then he says, that's why I came without objection. So Peter is willingly going to associate with a group of Gentiles even though he knows it's forbidden and unlawful because God's word trumps the law. See, Christians are supposed to be the ideal model citizen unless or until the government says you need to do this and, and it's in direct conflict with what God says. So we, we you remember Acts 4? Do you remember what Peter and John told the authorities back then, uh, whether or not we should listen to you or to God, you be the judge, but we can't stop talking about what we've seen. We've seen some amazing things. And, and if you want to persecute us and punish us, that's up to you. But we're following God because we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. Wouldn't that be a nice problem to have in our culture? Yeah, you say what you want, but I, I'm not, I, I can't stop talking about Jesus. I think our, our major hurdle in the 21st century is we have trouble starting talking about Jesus. It's not that we can't stop. We had to start it. But that's another story. So Peter makes this visit. He tells them, God has shown me not to call any person common or unclean. So what does Peter do? <clears throat> well, very clearly, he does what he's supposed to do. He preaches the gospel. He tells the people there, because he's gathered, remember, friends and relatives. So 
Cornelius is ready. He's, he's gathering people that he cares about. His relatives and friends, he's saying, hey, uh, this guy, this preacher's coming from Jerusalem by way of Joppa, and he's coming up here to us because God told me he is. And so when he gets here, he's going to have some good things to say. So everybody, everybody show up. Bring a casserole and come on and let's, let's have a church meeting. That's, that's, I, that's how I envisioned it anyway. Because, I mean, honestly, you can really get together without bringing food. I mean, that's just it's a given. Okay, so <clears throat> Peter understood this truth. This is so hard for us to get a hold of, it seems. God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. So what do you suppose that means for us? If God shows no favoritism, God shows no partiality, then we shouldn't either. If we are going to follow Jesus, then we don't show partiality. We don't show favoritism because that's what God says. Because Peter says, when he begins to speak the good news, we're here in verse 34, he begins to preach the gospel, he says... I truly understand. But do you see the word right before that? Now. Remember when I spoke about my childhood, where I grew up, what I was exposed to, and my community, you know, my friends and my school and all that? See, Peter says, now I truly understand. You know what that means? That means in the past, he didn't truly understand. Because he says, now I truly understand. So he's learned, he's learned some things. and He's changed his way of thinking. Remember I said that earlier? Sometimes you could grow up thinking this is right, and, and that's been your experience, and then you get a little older and you start to look back at some thoughts and attitudes, and, and then you think, oh, you know what? That, that, may, not have been, that may not have been right. I, I've learned some things since then. So Peter says, now I truly understand. God does not show favoritism. But look at verse 35. This is the next profound statement. In every nation. That little phrase. In every nation. That changes Peter's whole perspective on life. Okay, Understand how difficult this must have been for a, a Jew, a strong man, Jewish man, grown up in that tradition all his life. That's all he's known. And now he's saying, now I understand in every nation, not just the Jewish nation, in every nation, he who does right and fears God is acceptable to him. See, that, that's the, the first statement that we see the gospel is going to be spread to the world. Do you remember Acts 1.8? You remember how we saw what happened in the last two chapters of Acts? Acts 1.8 set the framework and said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses. And you remember where? Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and where else? To the ends of the earth, right? Well, guess what is considered by the Jews to the ends of the earth? All the other nations that are not Jews. So here, Peter is now associating with Gentiles, and he's not just associating with them, he's understanding some changes to his own perspective that have to take place, that have taken place, 
Because he says, now I truly understand God does not show favoritism, but in every nation, that's an absolute term, no exceptions, every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. The Gospel is good news for everyone, but it's only good news if it gets there in time. Think we have enough missionaries to handle that? Let me let me uh, define the word missionary. Uh, I'll use a synonym: Christian. If you follow Jesus, you're a missionary. You don't have to go to another country to be a missionary. Because if you're in a place that has lost people, which if you're on Earth, you're probably in a place that has lost people, then you're a missionary. At least that's, our, that's supposed to be our mindset, is a, a missionary mindset. We are a sent people. So Peter then gives these folks, these Gentiles, after he declares this truth that he now understands, he gives them a summary of the gospel. And that's really from verse 35, verse 36, all the way down to verse 43. He tells them that the word was sent to Israel. It was good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And then he talks about Jesus. God anointed him uh, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus, what did Jesus do when he was here? He went about doing good. He was healing all the people who were oppressed by the devil. And Peter and the brothers, see, he, he brought some other Jewish people with him. The Bible says he, he took some, some of the brothers from Joppa who were also Jewish, brought them with him to Caesarea to see this Cornelius guy. And he says, we, talking about himself and those who came with him and the other apostles, we were witnesses of all that Jesus did. And, and, and what did they do for that? Uh, for all the good that Jesus did, all the healing that Jesus did, what did they do? They, they killed him. They hung him on a tree, the Bible says. If you see the summary here, they, they put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree. But that's not where the story ended because you see in verse 41, verse 40 and 41, God raised him up on the third day, caused him to be seen, not by everyone, but by those whom God had appointed as witnesses. They ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So that was a confirmation. He is definitely risen. But then what did, what, what did God do? How did God cause the gospel to go forward? He commanded all the witnesses to preach. So, so let's, let's uh, relate that to us. If you're here today and you follow Jesus, you've trusted Christ for your salvation and forgiveness, God has done a work in your life, in your heart. He's drawn you to Himself. He's strengthened you to have faith in Him, to trust in Him for everything. And He's changed your, your, your life. He's, he's begun to sanctify you and change you into uh, someone who is more like Jesus. So what does that mean? It means you've been changed into uh, a witness. You've become a witness. And if you see what the Bible says... God commanded the witnesses. 
to preach to the people, to, to testify that Jesus was appointed to judge the living and the dead. All the prophets bear witness to this truth, that everyone who believes in Christ receives forgiveness. So Peter has given <clears throat> this complete summary of the gospel, and he's told them, hey, if you're a witness of Christ, then you have a job to do. You see how this always relates back to what we're supposed to be doing? How else does the gospel get uh, to the ends of the earth? How else does it get taken? See, see God has designed and ordained the local church, the, the local expressions of His body to be sent to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why churches get planted all over the, uh, the, the earth because the gospel, they're, they're gospel outposts. Take, take the gospel there. There's no gospel witness over here or over here. We've got we to gotta go there. We've got to go where there's not a gospel witness. That's the job of the church. The witnesses are commanded to preach and testify. So a funny thing happens, as you know, typically happens when the gospel gets preached. People start getting saved. Imagine that. And this time, though, it's not Jews. This time, it's Gentiles. So when you get to verse 44, you get to the conclusion of this narrative, and you see people get saved. The Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the Word while Peter was still talking. It's almost as if people are getting saved. People aren't waiting for an invitation because Jesus has already done something in them. So they're like, well, you, you go ahead and keep preaching, but I, I, God just did something. And I can't ignore that. You know, you know what a typical... This is my experience. I'm not going to put words in other people's mouths. But in my experience, you, you know what I've noticed a lot of times when, when I give an invitation? It ends up something like this. We're just going to sing one more verse. Just, just one more verse. And then after that verse is over, we're just going to sing one more verse. Like, come on, play, let me... Let me Convince you to come down. You know, when, when Jesus has jumped into your life and your heart, you can't wait for the preacher to tell you to come down. You're just ready to go. Because Jesus has filled you up and changed everything about you, invaded your space. That's not something you need permission to proclaim. Does that make sense? When Jesus takes over in your life, it's not something you can hold in and keep secret. That's not how it works. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have to wait for, for someone to coax you to tell people about Jesus. I don't need to convince you that you really are a witness. I shouldn't have to do that. No one should have to do that. The apostles stood against persecution and could not help but speak. They, they couldn't stop speaking. And they were getting beat up. We're pretty, we're pretty comfortable. Right? I mean, nobody's ever beat me up because I said something about Jesus. They couldn't stop speaking. So the Holy Spirit fell. Peter's brothers 
the other Jews were amazed that the Gentiles were being saved. They heard them speaking in other languages and extolling God or praising, exalting God. And so Peter commanded that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's where our story ends. They asked Peter to stay for a few more days. Like, help us. We, we, we just got Jesus now. Help us get started. Right? Do a little discipleship. All right? Get them started on the right path. It's like the little uh, first century, I'm a Christian, now what do I do? A little book, right? Whatever that is. It's probably a little bit more, more uh, on point than what we've got today, but it's another story. So, so what does all that mean? That's the story of Peter and Cornelius and Peter taking, as a Jew, taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which was forbidden. But he went because God told him to, and then God saved some people, okay? And they baptized them. So, so what does all that mean? Here, here's the conclusion of, of this story. I, I don't know where, I mean, I've I I got to guess, but I don't know where, where all of you grew up. I don't know what your life experience has been. I don't know who or what has influenced you and your way of thinking. I don't know exactly what you believe or don't believe. I mean, I got a good guess, but I don't have. I don't know exactly what you believe or what you don't believe. I mean, there's a, there's a literally a whole laundry list of things that I don't know or I may not know. But there are a few things that I know for certain. I know God is the master of the universe. I know He created everything and everyone that exists and that has ever existed. I know Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And I know there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I also know that the gospel message is intended for people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So how should this, the things I do know, how should that influence the thinking and the perspectives of people who claim to be followers of Christ? What should that do to us? How should that form our perspectives? Here's a few real-life points of application. And they're not, you know, this is not child's play. Okay? It's not for the faint of heart. Here's a few points of application. There's no room in the kingdom of God for partiality. There's no room in the kingdom of God for prejudice of any kind. There's no room in the kingdom of God for uh, favoritism and racism and looking down on someone else because they're not like me, they're not from where I'm from, or even if they are, they don't look like me, they don't act like me, they didn't grow up like I did. Those things, when it comes, listen, when it comes to the, the ground at the cross, those things are irrelevant. It, it doesn't matter. Because just as Peter said, now I truly understand. God does not show favoritism. Everyone from any nation, every nation who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to Him. That's, that's a word for our day right now. 
Okay? Because if we look out in our cultural landscape, there's a lot of, uh, of, of opposite perspectives than that going on. A lot of division. A lot of people from all sides looking down on people from every other side. And it's, it's, it's universal. No one has a corner on being uh, prejudiced or racist or, or unbiblical. No, no one has a, a corner on that market. It happens by all kinds of people from all kinds of places. But the Bible says, I mean, if we want to talk about what the Bible says, the Bible says any man from any nation who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. And, and I got a, a little footnote to that. If you're acceptable to God, you best be acceptable to me. And, and let me explain what I mean. If God has accepted you, I don't have any room not to accept you. Because God's standards are higher than mine. Does that make sense? So if God... It, what God has cleansed, no longer call common, unclean, unholy. That, that's a word for us. The Christian perspective has to be to love every other person in the world. It's pretty expansive, right? Love every other person in the world. Does that mean I like everybody? Well, no, because some people are jerks. I mean, let's be real. But if I, if I don't like somebody, that don't mean I get to not love them. That doesn't mean, I, well, I get a pass on uh, being kind to them because I don't like them. Really? Where is that in the Bible? First opinions? Verse 1? That's not right. Regardless of the color of someone's skin, regardless of the money in someone's bank account, regardless of the political party with which they're affiliated, I have to love everybody I may disagree with everything you stand for but God says I'm still supposed to love you and, and that you want to talk about something that will change the world for real change the world that kind of love will change a culture if, if I can look at you and I, I disagree with every, and every... Just go down a list of where you stand on this, 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 or this. And I disagree with everything that you believe. And I still love you. That'll change the world. That's, you're talking about uncommon. That's not normal. That's something only Jesus makes you do. When you, when you love someone that you completely disagree with, that's a Jesus thing. That's not human. That's not normal. That's supernatural. We take the gospel everywhere. We are indiscriminate with our evangelism, with our love. The Christians call to love everyone. It doesn't mean just to tolerate people. It means to love people. Treat every other human being in the same manner in which we would like to be treated. 
And, and you know how I know for sure that's true? It's pretty simple. God created every human being. And so God loves them. And so should I. John 13, verse 35. It's real simple. John 13, verse 35. The world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.